Anyway, we have continued and got finally to the last section, to the last fruit of the Spirit. Um, we've left the best till last, I'm sure. But uh, anyway, Simon, over to you. Welcome, Simon. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Um, so have you guys enjoyed your sweets this morning? You have? What, what was the little message with your sweets? Do not eat it. Oh, oh, wait until Simon says. What does it say in the middle here? Do not eat it. How many of you were looking over there thinking, oh, those bunch over there, they're naughty, aren't they? Chowing down their sweets. No, they said they could eat it. Um, anyway... So did any of you over here eat it? Mike? It's fair enough. I mean, I, I don't have any authority to command you not to eat that sweet, so you're welcome to. So what's, what's this sermon on? Self-control. That's the one, isn't it? Uh, you'd be, you would be surprised just how many hours I spent trawling through dross on Facebook in preparation for this sermon. I have seen... On YouTube as well, I've seen the way that boats can fail in any possible way. I've seen boat crashes, boat sinks, all in preparation for this sermon. It's taken a, taken a lot of work. Self-control. I think it's ironic, but I'm not sure if that's the right word for it. Anyway, uh, just listen to this, uh, this little passage. It's, it's from the message paraphrase of the Bible. It says, What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what's best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For if I know the law, but I still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. That was, uh, you'll probably recognize that as what I like to call the, the doo-doo passage from uh, Paul's letter to, the, letter to the Romans, where he says, I do not do what I want to do, but what I don't want to do, I keep on doing. There's so many do's in that passage, which is why I went for the, the message version of it, because I get confused with that. But, I mean, that summed up my, the, my preparation for this sermon pretty well, that passage there. All the thi- I know what I'm supposed to be doing, but there's so many other things that I keep on doing instead. In fact, I think that Paul summed up most of our human thinking throughout the whole of history pretty well. If it, like anyone who has a desire to live in some sort of morally upright way, I think he summed up the way that most people think throughout history there, didn't he? Shall we have a song? Or shall I read it? I'll sing it. But you've got to join in with the chorus. I'm bricking it here. Here we go. Your faith was strong, but you needed proof. 
You saw, you can join in with this bit as well if you want. You saw her bathing on the roof, her beauty and the moonlight overthrew her. She tied you to a kitchen chair, she broke your throne, she cut your hair, and from your lips she drew the hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, it's beautiful. Okay, contrary to popular belief, that wasn't written for every X Factor contestant to have something to sing. That was uh, written by Le- Leonard Cohen, and he's based it on the story of, of King David in the Bible. He's used a bit of poetic license, obviously. Um, so, you know, King David, we, we, we know that story. I think I've probably mentioned that story before myself as well, uh, having a bit of deja vu here. But anyway, it, it was fine for him to see her bathing on the roof. That was okay. I mean, maybe a little bit awkward. Uh, but anyway, that was, that was okay. But from that point on, King David just let go of self-control. Like, one look is, is okay. You, you can't help what you see. But it's when you look back again, and then it grabs your attention, and then you can't draw your eyes away from it. That, that's where it went wrong. And from that point on, it was, it was his undoing. He, he must have known that what he was doing was wrong, but he still pursued her, and he slept with her, and she fell pregnant. And, I mean, this was his trusted general's wife. Now, it's a little bit unfair picking on David and Bathsheba. There there were plenty of times that David showed amazing restraint and self-control in his life. And he still goes down in history as one of the great godly leaders. See, that's something that I love about the Bible. The Bible, it paints a well-rounded picture of the characters. You won't find many people in the Bible who uh, come across as completely perfect Even the heroes of the faith are portrayed warts and all. There's Noah, Moses, Abraham, Solomon, Ruth, Gideon, Isaiah, Elijah, Peter, Mary. None of them are portrayed as perfect. They all had their flaws. They all had moments of impulse and moments of uh, lack of self-control. That's why we shouldn't read the Bible and try and copy what some of these heroes lived like. That's not God's intention of putting people in the Bible like that. God's intention is always to draw us to himself, to look at what is God doing in this situation? What is God doing through this person? One of the issues that we face nowadays is that we're bombarded by examples of perfect lives, aren't we? For anybody who happens to be on social media you will know that most people will put the best photos, maybe with a filter on, but whatever it is, it's, it's the best moments. And we can end up looking at uh, their life and thinking, whoa, what a life. I wish I had a life like that. We subconsciously, we just put them up on a pedestal and we just think, my life is nowhere near as perfect as theirs. And then celebrities, we're, they're, they're surrounded by teams of people whose job it is to make them look good. And we think that it's scandalous when we see news about their addictions or their behavior or their unfaithfulness in their love life. That's not scandalous. 
What is scandalous is that we ever thought that they were perfect in the first place. And we're not immune to it in Christian circles either. Many of you will know of uh, Rabbi Zacharias, just as an example, a phenomenal preacher and apologist. He was seen as one of the modern-day heroes of the faith. His teaching helped thousands, millions of people. I know that it helped many of us. We've quoted him in sermons here. And yet, after he passed away last year, we discovered that he was leading a double life. He was, in fact, uh, an abusive womanizer. He used his power as a spiritual leader to coerce scores and scores of women into sending him explicit photos and then sleeping with him. Should we be shocked? Yes, I think we should be shocked. It's it's okay to feel shocked that uh, we've been deceived to this extent. I think many people who who respected him uh, felt a, a sense of betrayal. But maybe that's partly because we've allowed ourselves to elevate him, or anyone else for that matter, beyond where they should be. Paul again says, everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone. Me, you, the person next to you, any preacher who's ever stood on a stage anywhere, anyone, everyone. Now, we're not excusing his behavior in any way, just as I wouldn't excuse anyone's sinful behavior or lack of self-control. But the fact is that God puts all of us in the same boat when it comes to living a holy life. No one is perfect, not even one. To get to the the root of this problem, we're going to go right back to the beginning of it all. Surely the first humans didn't have the same issues. They were created in a perfect world. We know the environment that they were in. It's it's described fairly well in the Bible. If only we knew how they felt. Well, that's where God steps in again, and he tells us how they felt. In Genesis 2.25, it says, The man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. No self-doubt, no turmoil, like Paul experienced with his, I do not do what I want to do, but what I don't do, None of that. They lived in perfect harmony. So we're at chapter 2 in the Bible. If you imagine the thickness of a Bible, chapter 2 of the first book in the Bible. So far we've witnessed the creation of every star and planet and ocean and tree and animal and the crowning glory of it all, the Nintendo Switch. No, not really. Uh, God created humans in his own image. And then what comes after chapter 2? You got it, chapter 3. It all happens so fast. Two chapters of wonderful perfection, and then bang, 1,187 chapters of the aftermath. Because it's written like that, it's so easy to think that no time elapsed for Adam and Eve living in harmony with God and creation. But that is the way that all humans were designed to be. That chapter 2 bit, that's how we were all designed to be. That's what we're destined for for eternity. Now, like I say, we don't know how long they actually lived in paradise before Satan pitched up and messed it all up. But 
they had enough time to name every living creature on the planet, so I reckon they had a, a couple of days at least. It's got to take a while. Anyway, the moment that paradise was lost happens in chapter 3, verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it, and if you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your, your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. So this, this is the moment. Eve has taken a look at the tree, which is not bad in and of itself. She's heard the temptation from the devil, which again is not sinful either. And she's left with the choice that every human being has been met with ever since. Do I do what I know is right and put God first, or do I put myself first and enjoy the perceived benefits to myself? The story carries on. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. She gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. I think it's time for a game of Simon Says. Simon Says, put your hand on the head. Simon says, put your hands on your hips. Put your tongue out. Ah, Rick. Rick's out. Go on, out of the church. You're off. (laughs) Okay, uh, just for you lot over there. Is it you lot there or you lot there? I can't remember who it is. Simon said you can eat your sweet now. But only if it says it on your piece of paper. Tell you what, those of you who have a piece of paper that says you cannot eat your sweet. Yeah, you can if it says Simon Says. Yeah, there you go. You go for it. Uh, I feel bad for the kids who were sat in this, <laughs> this column of the church here sitting there. What if we go out before Simon says we can eat our sweets? Anyway, if any of you lot from the centre of the church here come back with your sweet next week, if you've managed self-control all the way till next week, you can have the rest of the bag of sweets. There you go. So Simon says, that, that's, my, that's my simplistic way of uh, how I think the world works. It's uh, it's like, Trump says, build a wall. Okay, we'll build a wall. The Mexicans can pay for it. Ah, you didn't say Trump says. (laughs) Boris says, lockdown. Boris says, eat out. Boris says, lockdown. Elon Musk says, fly me to space. Okay, we'll fly you to space. Richard Branson says, fly me to space. Okay, we'll fly you to space. Elon Musk, I mean, uh, who's the last one? Jeff Bezos says, fly me to space. But they've already done space. I said, fly me to space. Okay, we'll fly you to space. (laughs) 
The devil says, get plastered and throw up in a ditch. The devil says, click on that link with a woman in a seductive pose. The devil says, eat another bowl of ice cream and then another. That's not how it works, is it? That only works if the devil is given authority to command us to do that. If the devil had taken that route, the Bible would have been a heck of a lot shorter. If he'd have just said to Eve, eat the fruit. No. All right, fair enough. (laughs) Two chapters, people and God lived on for eternity. But no, we know that that's not how it works. The, The devil, the serpent, was craftier than all the other animals. Did God really say? And you can hear those whispers going on throughout the Bible. David, you're the king. You can have whoever you want, can't you? Noah, you've been through quite an ordeal. Why don't you just relax, have a few drinks? You deserve it. Peter, what use are you to Jesus if you're dead? Just pretend that you don't know him. You've got to look after yourself, haven't you? We've got to be aware of the lies that we hear. And it's, it's not about the devil talking directly to us. We know how it works in our own life, don't we? The battle between our sinful nature, the bit, the, the, the bit that the devil loves, and the Spirit of God living inside of us. I wonder what are those whispers that we believe? They'll be different for each one of us. Maybe it's, well, you're only admiring the beauty of the human form. Why not take another look and another? Or you can have another drink. Go on, you deserve it. Or just let it rip. You know, they've hacked you off, so just unleash both barrels on them. There's no need to hold back. Or maybe it's, Only perfection will do. Nothing else is good enough. Or, well, if God's going to forgive you anyway, you might as well just do it again. That battle is real. The battle is hard inside of us, isn't it? Now, I'm not going to share any of my deepest, deepest struggles with you today, but I'll give you an example from my life. I love prawn crackers. They taste, they taste so good. <laughs> and I know that there is nothing in a prawn cracker that's good for me. I mean, it's got like ground up prawns in it. Maybe that's good. But that doesn't matter whether I know that they're good for me or not. Every time I go into Aldi, <laughs> the battle begins. Sometimes I manage to get halfway around the shop before the battle begins. But often it happens as I step in through the door into Aldi. Every, every time I go in there, the battle begins. And it, this thought just comes into my head. You could get prawn crackers. <laughs> and you'll probably think, well, there's nothing wrong with Simon buying prawn crackers for his family. Well, I wouldn't be buying them for my family, would I? <laughs> this is a whole sharing bag. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the battle continues all the way around the shop. There's this inner dialogue that goes on uh, in, inside me. You know, you, you could get them, but it's not healthy. Well, you could just eat a couple. <laughs> but 
I know that the bag is going to be finished by the time I get home, if, well, probably before I get home. Well, you, you've worked hard, you know, you're hungry, you deserve them. Sometimes I buy the crackers, sometimes I don't. One of the techniques I found out is it's based on a biblical passage in 1 Corinthians. The temptations in your life are no different from what others will experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And here's the bit that I love. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can avoid, oh, sorry, so that you can endure. Sometimes the way out is down the aisle with the nappies and juice. <laughs> that, I think that... I know that that's a joke, but I, I think there is something serious that we need to get to grasp here. Sometimes the way out isn't to go past the thing that you know is going to be a temptation. Sometimes the way out is somewhere else. If I do buy them, there's only going to be crumbs left by the time I get home. I'm sorry, my family, but that's the way it is. <laughs> because I know that once I've given in to... Having one, who is it? The ones you pop, you can't stop. That's Pringles, isn't it? I don't really like Pringles so much. Prawn crackers, they should have that. Once you pop, you can't stop. I, I know that once I've had that first one, I'm a goner. That's it. The whole bag's gone. Now, you could probably replace prawn crackers with any of the things that humans struggle with self-control over. Drinking too much, taking drugs, watching porn, going too far in a relationship outbursts of anger, overeating, addiction to social media, letting worries rule your life. The, the process, when you dig down into it, is a fairly similar one for, for each one. The battle is real, and the battle is hard. We know that God... Sorry. We know that. And God knows that as well. There's... Here's, here's a truth for you to get your head around. God doesn't just understand in a detached way, you know, because he knows everything and he's God. Not in that kind of way. God has experienced the battle himself. There's a difference between knowing and sympathizing with somebody and, and then knowing and empathizing. God knows and he empathizes because God God shares our struggle because he's lived that struggle himself. Here's some of the whispers that Jesus had to contend with. If you're the son of God, just tell those stones to become bread. I mean, you're hungry. Just do it. If you're the son of God, well, just throw yourself down. There'll be angels coming around to, to hold you up, won't there? In Hebrews 4, we're told that Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are. Jesus displayed the perfect way to combat those temptations. He demonstrated perfect self-control. Not just for those 40 days in the desert, but throughout his life. There must have been moments where he could have just taken an easier route. I mean, ditching that bunch of disciples, for starters. <laughs> they just seemed to get in the way. And we know that in the, the Garden of Gethsemane, he begged God to find another way. 
I wonder what the temptation would have been for him just to, just to take an easier route, not having to go to the cross. He could have walked away at any time, but he resisted that human temptation to do so, and he submitted to the Father's will, all because he loves us. So what do we take from this? Well, we should stand firm like Jesus did against temptation. It all just comes down to how strong-willed we are, how good a Christian we can be. So there you have it. Now you know what to look out for. It's all down to you to keep on the right side of the line, yeah? No. <laughs> that's, not, that's not how it goes. Listen to what Hebrews uh, 4, 14 to 16 says. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For if we do not have a high priest who is, for we do not have an, a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's what we do. We come to the throne of grace. I mean, where did this topic of self-control come from? It's, not, it's from the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? It's, it's not the fruit of hard work. It's not the fruit of living a pious life. It's the fruit of the Spirit. We've covered most of the fruit of the Spirit over the summer. And I bet if we asked around, most of us would uh, prefer to talk about the other eight fruit rather than talking about self-control. I mean, we love a bit of love, don't we? And who doesn't like a bit of joy? But self-control, that's where the rubber hits the road, isn't it? In fact, when you, when you read the whole book of Galatians, Paul, where the fruit of the Spirit is based, it's in Galatians 4, 5, 4, 5, thank you, uh, in fact, uh, Paul, Paul does seem to focus on our, our behavior quite a lot. But it's always in the context of being under God's grace. We're going to read those passages in a bit that uh, the fruit of the Spirit are, are found in. You don't have to live a, a perfect life to please God. He loves you. He gave his life for you. He rose again to beat the power of sin and death forever. If you've accepted that gift from God, then that is where you stand now. You are forgiven. You are spotless. You are redeemed. And you are free. So live a life in step with the Spirit, one in which God works through you and in you to perfect you. The answer can never be for us to muster up self-control in ourself. It's, it's not to, to work hard to overcome those issues. Rather, it's about surrender to God. Surrendering to say, I can't do it on my own. To say, I need your supernatural help. I need your power. As I said, we're going to read those verses in a bit and... Then we're going to spend a bit of time in, in worship again. Um, and there'll, there'll be an opportunity just for you to surrender to God again. And 
you may have come to God with the same issue 20 times before, 100 times before, 200 times before, however many times. It doesn't matter. We can still come back to God because that, he's infinitely loving, infinitely kind. He doesn't grow tired of saying us, us coming back with the same thing over and over again. We all have our own personal issues that we deal with, don't we? But before we do, I'm just going to give a couple of practical things that we can do to help with dealing with these issues. And don't take this list as an answer to your issues. The answer, as we've said, is surrender to God, submitting to him. But it's good to have a few practical pointers as well to help us. It's good to be honest with yourself. It's good to look for any of the patterns and triggers that lead you towards the behavior that you know that you want to avoid. What helped me yesterday, actually, was Faith went shopping with me. And it didn't even cross my mind just having somebody else there. That's another one. Don't go it alone. Talk to somebody non-judgmental who you can be accountable to. And they can help you. And you need to make sure it's somebody who's not just going to say, oh, it's fine, don't worry, oh, it's all right, don't worry. Somebody who isn't going to be judgmental, but is going to help you to come back to God time and time again. In fact, I give you all permission. If you see me in Aldi, (laughs) wait at the checkout. (laughs) Take that bag off me. Remember, God will always give you a way out. Look for that way out and take it. Often, uh, if we think about a lot of the things people struggle with, often that way out is further back down the line. Like A lot of people will ask the question, well, how far can I go in a relationship with my boyfriend or girlfriend? And if that's the question you're, you're asking, then you're trying to get sort of as, as close to the line as you can, rather than just stepping back and saying, well, where is, where is the way out that God has given me? I, don't, I know that I don't want to go all the way there, but actually if, if I take steps in that direction with whatever this issue is that you're dealing with, if I take steps in that direction, then I know that I'm on a slippery slope down. So rather than thinking, well, I mean, how close can I get? Just look for the way out that God has given you elsewhere. The final thing is to, to not beat yourself up. I think we can be our own worst enemy, can't we? There, there aren't a lot of people who look onto our life and uh, pick holes in it and say how rubbish we are, but I know for myself I'm the best one at doing that. God understands. God has forgiven you, and he will continue to forgive you. So don't beat yourself up. Come back to him. Humbly say, I'm sorry, God. Please help me again. I wonder if the band could come up again. It'd be funny if they all said no, wouldn't it? <laughs> <That'd be> good. <laughs> yeah, Simon says, get up here. So I'm just going to read a few of the verses before um, where Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, just to give a little bit of context. And you'll notice how much he talks about behavior. But what is the answer? It is 
the fruit of the Spirit. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. That was the flesh. (laughs) They are in conflict with each other. Are you going to do that for... No, okay. (laughs) Sorry, I've I've lost it now. (laughs) But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such thing there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let's not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So as we go into another time of worship, if if you want to to come forward and pray with somebody, nobody's going to ask you, what do you want prayer for? Uh, But if you do want to pray with somebody, do do come up and uh, somebody would be glad to pray with you. Or just turn to the person next to you and pray with them. Uh, But as we come into into this time of worship, I'm I'm just going to read these words from James 4.10 to remind us what we're doing. Humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Note the first bit is humble yourselves before God. It's not about us trying our best to be strong enough. Humble yourselves before God. We've got a time now where we can humble ourselves before God and ask him to help us. Thank you.